Well, this is your first time with us tonight. Uh, we've been going through the book of, or we call it the food of Ephesians. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He didn't say read me. He said, eat me and drink of me, and then you'll have life within you. And um, just that last prayer, you know, it is. It's, we can say we love him, but we actually have to receive his love to really love him in the love that's of him. And to be able to love another person as he loves is not uh, possible in our human love. Our human love is powerful, but not powerful enough for that. And so part of uh, being a follower is receiving him. And I just um, encourage you to have a look as you're reading and reading the Gospels and reading Paul's letters to see how many times Paul uses the word receive. Even in 1 John alone, it says receive. Those who choose to receive, 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 receive. What does it mean to actually receive the way he intends through his power? And so his word pierces our hearts, and through the power of the word being received, we now have the substance of love within us. Because the word is Christ. Christ is the word. So we receive him, which means we're able to live like him. And the way that all happens is through being able to hear. And so um, it's a cool thing. It's outside of our capacity, but it's fully in his capacity and requires us to be surrendered before we're committed. That's uh, going to look at that tonight. Because if you get committed before you're surrendered, you can get in all sorts of trouble. Because you're committed, but you're just not surrendered. So you do a lot of things in your will, not realizing it. And you run off, and he goes, hey, come back. You're supposed to be surrendered before you get committed. I want you committed, but it's defined by your surrender. So we're going to look at that tonight, because we're going to look at the second part of Matthew, which is all about losing your life to find your life. Um, but before we want to get onto that, I just want to take about 10 minutes and just refresh us on last week, because there's a couple of scriptures I didn't get through, which I really want to point out to you so you can meditate on them because they are really powerful. Um, here's a first one, Proverbs 21.2. Proverbs 21.2. Every man, this isn't in the PowerPoint, Kirk. Every man, every man's way is right in his own eyes. Man, we all think that, eh? We all think we're right, eh? I'm right. I'm right. Really? How did you get your right? I don't know, just because it came from me. I believe it's right. Oh, okay. But the Lord weighs the hearts. It's interesting, isn't it? Where does he weigh? He weighs the hearts. What's this whole covenant about? Heart. We talked about the MRI scanner, scanning the heart, being able to see into the inside of a man, even parts the man doesn't even know himself or the woman. Because we can think things and we can believe things, but they may not be true. But God looks into the heart. He sees the true state of our heart, and he wants to reveal our true state so we can see it. Because when we can see our true state, then we can truly change. Up until that point, we're not actually moving towards repentance because we don't think anything's wrong. So we're just doing what we've always done, thinking it's right, but not necessarily coming into life. And that's the goal, that's the objective of Christ, is to bring us into his life, isn't it? So he has to show us, he has to reveal to us his ways, himself and his ways, so we can be the receiving of that and come into this very life that he's talking about through the covenant. And so that's an interesting passage that everyone must face and allow to permeate their thinking and change through it. And that's just one of the scriptures. You see it all the time. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it says, but it's end in death. So let's go to Matthew 19, because last week 
I talked about the commandment a lot, didn't I? And we talked about the ability to love God with all, and God's looking for people. He said, don't think I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword, and a sword that cuts and pierces and does a work of transformation like a scalpel does to cut away things, cut away unhealthy attachments, cut away ligaments and tendons that have attached and wrapped themselves around people and things so I can truly reattach you that you would love me. So his word does a work of cutting, aligning, and then he reattaches. So now you don't love other things more than, you don't love your life more than, and now you love him more than. And so you don't have possessions more than, because as we looked at, those things are binding us and holding us for the more than life. You can't have both. Now, you can be married, but you can't have your way and your cake and your eat it. So everything comes from God, but it needs to be defined by God. So he gives it to you, then he says, give it back to me so I can define it. Otherwise, you'll define it, and that's going to get you in trouble. So Abraham had to give Isaac back for God to define it to see what? Whether Isaac was wrapped around Abraham's heart. And it says God was going to test Abraham. He was testing who had whose heart. See, it was a promise. 25 years in the making. He had to wait 25 years for the promised son. Not any son, the son that all the nations were going to come through. He finally gets the boy. At about 13 and 14, God says, right, now we're going to kill the boy. We're going to have an object lesson and see who has your heart, the boy or me. And he tests Abraham, doesn't he? Abraham passed the test. Why? Because he had the fear of the Lord within him. See, he had a substance in him which enabled him to hand the boy over. He had faith. He saw and knew even if God killed him, God was going to raise him up. See, when you're in that position, that's the position of power. That's the position of, well, of course, it's obvious to be obedient now. It's not even a trust issue because you know you have a knowledge that God is powerful and capable to do what he wants and will do what he says. Rather than this position of, ooh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, and we sit there going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. See, he says you, he was in the fear of the Lord. He had it within him. He had a substance within him that created a decision. He passed the test, and that's what we're to have in us. We have the word of God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when we make decisions, they are no, you know, it's, it's an easy decision to make to lay one's life down. Why? Because the word is in me. The power that's in me is causing the decision, not my strength or not my, uh, uh, I have to. No, it's his word in you that enables you to lay it down. Is that clear? And so this scripture, have a look at the scripture because... The empowerment comes through the great commandment. So we're going to fly through this 10 minutes. Matthew 19, 16. This is about the rich young ruler. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? You can't do anything to obtain eternal life apart from surrender and ask. You can't create the eternal life in your ability or strength. What you can do is surrender and start asking and come to him in weakness. Okay? He said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish, here's the key, if you wish to enter into life, keep the what? What is the first commandment? What's the second one? 
So if you want to come into life, you need to know how to keep those two things. All the prophets and the law hang on two things. Everything that was before now is hanging on the simple prophetic statement. Love God, love people, eternal life is an outcome. So what is it about the great commandment that brings eternal life? Well, that's the journey we have to discover. So the outcome of being in the commandment is eternal life. What's eternal life, Chris? What's eternal life? We've been speaking about this forever. Is it just eternity with God? Or is it living from an eternal substance within you now that enables you to lay your life down for his sake? Is it having Christ in you to such a measure that actually it's no longer hard? It's easy. It's no longer burdensome. I'm in rest. I've come into the reality of the words on the page. The words on the page are not just words on the page. They are my reality because I'm in covenant with God. And the power of God has brought me through, through the commandments. But I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I love my neighbor with my love. No, you can't. So I need to be found in surrender and submission and on my face and fasting and praying and having a single-minded, dogmatic approach to my relationship with Jesus. I can't have a crowd mentality. I can't just go along with the crowd. That's not going to produce the work in me just going along and casually just be casual. I have to be determined. I have to be intentional. Just like we are with anything else in this life we want, we position ourselves, we discipline ourselves, we're prepared to go to hard times, we'll go through anything to get what we want, won't we? Well, where do you think that comes from? But who for? The thing you're looking for or for him? Ultimately, it's for him. It's funny how we get this in the physical way. Why? Because you love what you go after, see? When you fall in love, when you surrender and submit, and he starts to reveal himself in you, it just becomes a natural posture. It's innate. It's no longer I have to try. You have to actually stop trying to come into this life. But I'm not saying you get all casual on it. It's an active position of pursuing. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.10, those who have entered into his rest striving from their own works. This is a position. I love what Rodney said this morning. There's plenty of doing in the being, but the doing in the doing is tiresome. But once you've found this place of rest being, the doing is just an outworking of being. It doesn't really feel like doing, even though you're doing something, because okay? wisdom is demonstrated. And so you're saying to the rich young ruler here, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've done all that. He said, no, you haven't. No, no, I did it. I've honored my mom and dad. You haven't even started, boy. You're just keeping a law. You're keeping a set of rules. This is about a relationship. I'm coming after your heart is what he's saying to this boy. I'm coming after the thing that actually prevents you from actually entering into this life because you've got stuff in your heart. You've got yourself at the cornerstone of your own heart. And because of that, you are a wealthy man. You've got idols called money. So I'm coming to set you free of you. Do you want it? And what happened? He walked away. He walked away. From the answer. You know when the many disciples walked away from Jesus? Disciples. Who knows what a disciple is supposed to be? Someone who's trying to become like the master. Okay? 
So you're trying to become like Christ. That's the intent. You want to be like Christ. So those people walked away from Christ. Does that make sense to you? You want to be like him, but you're walking away from him. Do you reckon they knew they were walking away from him? Or do you think their way they thought was right, but it was going to end in death? So if you want to be like him, why are you walking away from him? You know what he says? He says, men, that many walked away. And then turned around to Peter. And what did he say? Imagine the Lord looking you straight in the eyes and going, are you going to? Wow, that's a question. Where are you going? And what did Peter say? Where are we going to go? The mass, the mass are walking away. See, the crowd, when it gets too hard, leave. And the few stay. But the few are supposed to be the many. You see, many are called, but only few are chosen. Why is it that only few are chosen when the many are called? Because when it starts to get a bit too hot, when you get challenged on the true issues of your heart, now you're going to see whether you're prepared to lay it down. And that's what's required if you truly want to be the bride of Christ. If you truly want to enter into this covenant, it requires you to lay your entire life for his sake, not your sake, down. And Peter says this, he says, we no longer know. We believe and have come to know you are the Messiah. See, when you know, truly know that you know that you know that he is the Messiah, things start to shift. And you're able to make decisions that other people aren't to make because you have a knowledge of the Messiah. You have a knowledge of living truth. But when you just know it intellectually, it's not enough. It's not enough to trump your flesh. It's not enough. The pressure's too great. And your heart starts to scream. You see, the great commandment addresses the issues of the heart. That's why it's the great MRI scanner. But God wants to show you what's in our heart so we can relinquish those things, repent from them, and come into this for life, eternal life. But the rich young ruler, he valued himself and his money greater than the Lord. And it says Jesus loved him. So Jesus will let you walk away from him, but still love you. But you walk away at his own detriment, didn't he? What if we just go to look at John 14? John's a great book if you want to look at absolute statements and really how this whole thing with the Lord works. He understood it. He was the apostle of love. He knows how he came into that love, so he writes about it. John 14, 21. Just let these words penetrate your spirit tonight. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. It's not enough just to say you love God if you're not keeping his commandments. One John, the same author, says if you do that, you're actually a liar. Can you see why I do not think I've come to bring peace? <laughs> Don't think I'm a nice guy. Although I am a nice guy. I'm the creator, but I speak words that are going to cut flesh. Mindsets that are anti my kingdom are going to scream when I start talking kingdom. So he's come to challenge all of us truly on 
his kingdom way? How does he see family? How does he see money? How does he see his church? How does he see everything compared to you? Do you have his mind, the mind of Christ, when it comes to all these areas of life? Or are you still in your mind trying to fit your mind and your ways into his box? Because he's saying, I'm from another planet, and it thinks completely differently. And this is what he's addressing here. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. What do you think that means? Do you, mean, do you think that means you're going to get ongoing revelation? So if we're in the commandments and eternal life is being produced because we love him, because if we love him, we're going to be spending time with him. If we spend time with him, he's going to reveal more of himself, correct? Because his heart is to reveal more of himself, is it not? His heart is to pour out. You've been granted to know all the mysteries of the kingdom. So if you've been granted to know, we don't know them, there's a problem. Fair call? Because we've been granted to know. So there's something we're supposed to know. If we don't know it, why not? Is it because we actually love ourselves and other things? Probably right, yeah? Well, what are we going to do about that? Anything? Shoot the messenger? Not come back? Resist and walk away? Well, many do that. That's what they did. They walked away from Christ because it all got too hard. He's going, are you going to go too? Or are you going to walk in and be a few that find this life? Or just be part of the crowd and be part of the many, but be never realize what you are called for? See, this thing makes you look in the mirror. These words make you look in the mirror and go, wow, man, what have I signed up for? This is way more than what the dude at the front told me when I told me 17 years. He said Jesus was going to make my life really good. Jesus was going to bless me. I was going to get a wife and a kids and a house and a Ferrari and all these cool things. And if anything bad, it must be the devil. Yes, I want that gospel. Amen. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, I'll win you any way possible, but then I'm going to start revealing the truth. And then you're going to have to be look at your own heart and your own life and go, do you really want me? Do you want to just get in or do you want to be in the innermost chamber? Do you want to come with me and let me transform your whole life? Do you want to be transfigured into my image? Man, it's my will. This is the will of my Father to do this work in the church and to have a church that's radiant, spotless, blame it, that's so far different from the world that it stands out and the world looks at it and knows I was sent. That's the goal. Anything less than that, we're kidding ourselves. Can I say that? I just did, Dave. It got out. It's like Wednesday night. Stuff was coming out of my mouth. I'm going, oh, it's out there now. The true reality of what I believe is coming out now. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him that is a promise what does that mean for us if anyone loves me he will keep my word it starts at the commandments and my father will love him 
and we'll come to him and make our abode with him. I pray that you would be one as we are one, John 17. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus was sent. John the Baptist was sent. Men and women of God are sent to the church. Then he sends people into the world. I send you to make disciples. So God sends individuals, then he sends individuals and bodies into the world. So Jesus was sent with a particular word to speak to the earth to see his kingdom, God's kingdom, not our kingdom, God's kingdom established where? In the church, through the covenant he was making of the blood. And it's not to be broken. And it would end up in a marriage. Now and in the future, because this is about the preparation now. The bride made herself ready because she understood the enormity of what she was invited into. And unfortunately, the church has done such a bad job at teaching this because it hasn't known this. So it's made it all about reaching lost people. And then when the real or the whole purpose is preached, everyone looks like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the whole purpose of the kingdom of God that Jesus said, you hold a whole new mindset because my kingdom is here. John the Baptist preached repentance of sin. That was message number one. Jesus turns up, says, here's message number two. It's about my whole kingdom being on earth. It's about families coming into alignment to me. It's about money coming into alignment. It's about business. It's about education. Everything needs to have a whole new transfigured mindset and reality to see this kingdom established in this dark place. And I've chosen the church as vessels of my glory to see that established here on the earth through people. What gospel did you hear? What gospel did you receive? How did you receive it? How are you receiving it? These are key elements to seeing the church change. If you just receive the gospel through words in your mind, it's not enough. You have to receive the gospel, the word, through the work in your spirit. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge. And head knowledge isn't going to be able to live it out. The word must pierce your heart. It must pierce you in the inner core. There must be a, what was that? That was the sword going in, uh, into you. Oh, twisting, turning. Oh, that hurt. Yeah, it's great though, isn't it? Paul asserted, out. Well, I got life. That should have killed me. Yes, it's killing the flesh and it's bringing the spirit out. This is how you're to receive the word. Not just take notes and mentally understand, grasp it. That's going to do you nothing. It's outside. Jesus had to open up their minds to understand the scriptures. If you think Jesus has to open up your mind, what's that saying? So the spirit must open up our minds and then we fall in love. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and make me and my father abode with you. You're going to know things and live from this place of unseen realm. It's powerful, eh? It's really powerful, and it's outside of our grasp. That's what makes it him, but it's fully possible with him. This is down to 31, John 14, 31. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father 
commanded me. So the world would know I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. We could put ourselves in there. Let's put ourselves in there. But so the world would know that we love the Father, we do exactly as the Father has commanded us. And that starts at loving God with all, which starts at complete surrender because you can't. It's a funny thing, isn't it? You get asked to do something you actually can't do. Does that sound like the kingdom? It sounds so back to front, does it? And so, but we go figure out how to try and do it. So instead of realizing we can't do it and being on our knees in prayer and repentance and fasting, we go, now that's boring. I'm going to figure out how I can do it. Why? Because function's so living in me and I'm so functional that I'm going to try and figure out how this all happens. Well, good luck with that. Because the posture is at his feet in repentance and fasting and prayer, asking, seeking, knocking for something you can't do. Man, our pride hates that. That's why our pride has to be broken into pieces. And when you're pride, when you fall on the rock and you realize that and you're broken, you stop trying that stuff. So to keep trying it is to show you actually haven't fallen on the rock yet. Because when you fall on the rock and you're broken to pieces, that operating system is broken. And it doesn't get put together again. Because you learn, that's not of my father. That was is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is death. Our flesh hates it. Spirit loves it. Very quiet. John 15 verse 12. You ready for this? John 15 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if... You do what I command. Do you know what the word friend means? See, we think it's just buddy, eh? Oh, you're my friend, Shirley. She's my mate. We're friends. It means covenantal partner. One who are in covenant lay their lives down for their covenantal partners. Remember last week I said the covenant is vertical, horizontal. Horizontal, vertical. So if you keep, if you keep, then you're entering into the covenant with me and with my, which is my body. So you are not your own. None of you are your own. None of you, you're mine. We didn't choose one another. He chose every one of us to be in covenant with one another as covenantal partners. And we talked about the power of the covenant between David and Jonathan. If you didn't hear it, you weren't here, go and listen to it online. It's so powerful how those two men live. That's to be the church's way of living. Is it? No. We have no concept of the stuff that we're supposed to be living in, and yet it's supposed to be the model. Radical. God needs to radically change the people of God. Covenantal partner, Sam and, my, Sam and myself, which means he's giving his life for me and I'm giving my life for him. But what about his mum and his dad and his wife and his kids and all that? What about them? Maybe, maybe not. What did he say? 
I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring the sword. I've come to divide flesh and spirit. I've come looking for my spiritual family. Who is the one who does the will of God? His natural mother, his natural brothers or sisters? No, those doing the spiritual will of the Father, those who Jesus is relating to, not the physical. And he hopes the physical will catch up into the spiritual. So he's looking for his family. He's looking for his brothers and his sisters that are in him, not just through flesh and blood. But that's where most of us have our hold is flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is the strongest thing that we're in covenant with, not actually one another of the Spirit and of Christ. Why? Because we're ultimately fleshly still, and we don't understand. We don't have the revelation to hear what he's actually saying when he says the thing of, why do you love these people more than me? Now, can you hear what he is saying? No? Then you're eating it. (laughs) Ask him till you get revelation because this radically changes your life. It unearths you and unanchors you from things that are holding you. For me to love Danielle more than I love him and fleshly is lust. What? No, no, you're supposed to give her your life, lay her life down. You're supposed to give her your life. Yeah, no. Actually, that's him because she is his, not mine. How can I love her and lead her if we're connected to one another? And you heard this morning of the work that happened in Cambodia and what happened to us because there's a flesh spirit thing being outworked in our lives. So we're in it to win it, are you? Because there's much to win, there's a prize. I press on towards the prize, not the gift, the prize. The pride, the gift was 17 years ago. The prize is what I'm going after in Christ. So here's a question. Can we now hear and see why the great commandment is the great commandment and what this means for us? I wrote about this in the book, why the great commandment is the great commandment. It's vital, and yet so much of the church is going after the great commission. And we skip the commandment because the commandment addresses the heart. The commission doesn't. The commission is important, and we're going to look at that right now. But if you don't get the commandment dealt with, you will mess up the commission because you will be the driver of the commission. The great commandment must define the great commission. If it doesn't, you are. So there's none of you left through loving God and loving people. You've entered in. You've let go of your life. God has relinquished and all the stuff in your heart's come out. He's put himself in. Now I can truly lay my life down for his sake, not my sake. To not be faithful and obedient to the great commandment is to not be faithful and obedient to the covenant God made with us. To not be faithful and obedient to the great commandment is to not be faithful and obedient to the covenant God made with us. It's powerful words, but it's true. That's why there's a judgment seat, yes? If there was no need to be judged, why is there a judgment seat for the church? If there's no reward for faithfulness and obedience, it wouldn't be there. Yeah? He's looking for faithfulness. Obedience is 
massive. If you don't obey me, there's probably going to be curses. If you obey me, there'll be blessing. Yeah, Deuteronomy 28, it's clearly in there. I've given you some talents. What did you do with them? I buried them. Oh, not going so well for you. Out of darkness, gnashing of teeth. Not non-Christians. Whoa, what's that? I was told that was all for non-Christians. Oh, we'll have a look. Study, ask the Holy Spirit. Whoa, hold on a minute. I thought the virgins were five non-Christians and five Christians. Go have another look. See, what we don't understand, we throw out, makes us feel good, doesn't it? Don't deal with that one. Don't deal with that one. Don't de- That's all them over there. You know, it's you over here. Flesh doesn't like that, so we justify it away. Oh, my goodness. And yet there's life in it. So it's not punishment. God is not the God of punishment. He's the God that promotes. He's the God that leads and brings life. Okay? This is not a heaven and a hell thing. This is a reward thing. So obedience and faithfulness is massive to God. Massive. And it relinquishes and releases us into life. Okay? All right, let's look at verse 40. uh, Sorry, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 10, 38. So we've hit the relational test. Here's the missional test. Okay, verse Matthew 10, 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Who can remember what the word worthy was, what it meant? Yell it out. Fit. You're not prepared or fit. What for? For the wedding. So I'm asking you who you love, relational test. Now I'm going to ask you who you live for and walk with. So he who, takes, he who does not take his cross and follow him after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. It's not just about losing your life for you, is it? It's about losing your life for his sake. Too many people want to get on the mission field. Too many people want to go and reach the world for Jesus, but it's still for them. They don't go empty. They go full of them. Well, I've got this thing in me, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to reach the world. I'm going to change. I'm going to build. No, that's for your sake. I'm looking for people who have lost their life for my sake, so they'll do it my way. And when they're out there doing that, they'll have my power flowing through them. So any work you do shouldn't be a work of where it causes massive tiredness and anxiousness and worry. If it is, it's probably your work for your sake in his name. Does Jesus promise you rest or stress? Does he promise you anxiousness or worry or the freeing of those things? Just saying. So why is there so much burnout in the body of Christ for senior leaders and elders when he says, I give you rest? Because you're building my church. You're trying, but it's all in vain. 
So there's no fruit, but there's all this energy and effort and time and resource being given to something that's never going to do anything. But it looks good because you can build buildings. You can build towers up to heaven. The sons of men. Not the sons of God, it says. Look what the sons of men can do. Not the sons of God. Sons of God know they can't build anything but be built and then have the power and the anointing of God come through them to see God build his church. And you need to be able to hear the difference because it's so close, but it's miles apart in operation. So do you have the discernment to discern what is of man and what is of God on this earth right now? If you walk into places, can you discern the difference between the operating system of heaven and the operating system of earth in his name? There are plenty of people casting out demons in his name. There are plenty of people doing miracles, signs and wonders today, doing all this stuff. We're going to build the church. We're going to transform. Can you discern the difference? Because if you can't, you're probably going to get sucked into it thinking it's all of him. Hence, we need to be able to discern him. And you know what's incredibly awesome at the same time scary? God blesses our flesh works. I don't know why he does it, but he does it. Be easy if he didn't, but he blessed Ishmael. He made a covenant with Ishmael, and Ishmael was a flesh work. So God blesses flesh work because he loves his people, but guess what? There's a learning object and all that that he hopes you're going to find it out. So just because it looks from the flesh right doesn't mean it is. And can you discern it through hearing? Oh, but they talk about discipleship. They talk about this. They talk about, you know, all the words sound the same, don't they? But the operating, the words and the words. So this says one thing, this screams another. And I said this the other night, are we leaders that live relationally and lead relationally? Or are we people that live relationally and lead functionally? Or are we people that live functionally and lead functionally? So leaders and followers, followers and leaders must live relationally and lead relationally. Lead people to the Father, not into works. Yes, there are works to be done for my sake, but if you haven't been led to the Father and are trying to do works, you're going to do them in your sake, and there will be no life in that in you. You may see a healing, you may see stuff, but in you. He wants to build life in you. Eternal life through the commandment of the relinquishing of the things that are deep in our hearts that some of us don't even know they're there. And when he comes and he presses them, it's probably him. Don't justify it away and go, no, that's not of you, Lord. It's of Satan. It's probably him. Because when you ask yourself, actually, yeah, I spend a lot of time with that thing. Actually, I can't live without that thing. That thing's so entangled in me, the fear of losing it, I would die. That's telling you something. That should be him, not the thing. Okay? So this is massive. It's not just about losing your life. It's losing it for his sake. Take up your cross means take up truth and allow truth to transform you. Become truth. The, fl- the word became Flesh, it became living. Is the truth living in you? Or can you just teach it? It's easier to teach it. It's so hard to live it. But you're not supposed to be teaching anything you're not living. 
So if you've got nothing that you're not living, don't teach. Because you're teaching theory and it's got no power. So teach what you're living. So we need to allow the truth to be transform us. I need to become love, not God. Become like God is not becoming God, but it's becoming like Christ and living and walking in the manner in which Christ walked and lived. So you're not becoming a God, but you're able to do the things Christ did because you're Christ-like, because the truth is becoming living in you, which means I must allow the truth, the cross, Jesus, to penetrate me, not reject, not resist. How hard it is, he's going, that thing, I'm the master surgeon. It is holding you back from relationship with me, and you may not even know it. And I know you've had to trust in it, and I know you've put your trust in it, but it's actually binding you and keeping you in bondage. And I want to free you, redefine that, and then maybe give it back to you. Maybe I need to throw it completely away. And so often, you know what the things that bind us are? Are other people. That's where the real deep work happens. What did Peter say? What did the disciples and John? They immediately left their boats. What were they leaving? Have you asked yourself what they were leaving? What were they, their lives, their income, and their relationships? Remember we looked at the other day last week, I talked about I went and bought a cattle, I went and got married, I went and bought a property. They left their livelihood, their source of strength, protection, immediately. And they left their father, relationships. They left dad hanging over the nets. Sorry, dad, got to go. Dad, not too pleased now. Can you do that? Or are you in the fear of your dad and what your dad, your mom, and other family members might say? Are you prepared to walk that line and live a life that they don't understand and leave them? Because he's calling you for more. And when I say leave them, I mean you're trying to encourage them. You leave them here. You don't leave them physically. You don't go, see you later. Although he might call you, you know, to go places, but you're leaving everyone here. They're being ripped from you, and you're actually able to live a life that they don't understand, and they will persecute you for, or at least question your judgment. Why are you leaving your job, you idiot? No, they said to me, my bosses, when I left NZ Safety, what are you doing? I went from 80 grand to 35. And they went, what part of that makes sense? I said, because he said. And they're looking at you like, but we had these plans for you in Auckland. You were going to do this, 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 this. I said, yeah, well, he's got greater plans. And the call from God is greater than you and selling safety gear. And my boss, who I love my boss, he was the best boss, he looked at me and went, well, I respect that. I don't understand it, but I respect it. Why? Because you hear the call. You leave immediately. And it says, we've left everything to follow you. Everything, every relationship, every obstacle, every position, everything that was security, we've left. You better be the real deal. You better be what you say you are because we're putting it out there, man. Come on. But you can trust him, can you not? Is he not the creator of the universe? Is he not what he says happened in his time? So Jesus knows he's faithful. Jesus knows he's obedient. Jesus knows what he says will happen. He's not the problem. You can trust me, man. I Watch this. I raise dead people. I speak and things happen. 
for his sake, not for my sake. I shared this this morning. Large crowds were going along with Jesus. And he turns. See, he sees our hearts, doesn't he? He saw their hearts. And so he then aligns them with the word, wanting to see who's going to come out of the crowd and follow. There's plenty of people here in the crowd. There's plenty of people here at the rock on the altar who are staying on the altar because it doesn't have responsibility. They come and go as they please. They're not committed to the family. They're not in a family. God's building a family here. He wants family. He wants covenantal friends that lay their lives down for one another. It's a high calling. It's not friendship. It's not a guest. It's covenantal partnerships with one another and God. It's the giving of your life. It's one heart, one mind, one spirit intent on one purpose. Whoa, now you're getting really extreme. No, we're just preaching the truth. Well, yeah, the truth is starting to penetrate that flesh, isn't it? That mindset that wants to hold on to itself. Now you're actually getting the realization of what the word does. It doesn't tickle the ears. It comes and kills the flesh for life, not death, for life. And so this is what he's talking about. You see, those that are in the crowd that go along won't be worthy unless they have a change of heart along the way because God says, someone says no today, can say yes tomorrow, No one's race is ever over until they're dead. But there's no promotion after you're dead. It's too late. It's did you do it now. And so he looks at everyone and says, if you don't hate, he uses strong language, meaning if you love these people more than me, you cannot fundamentally be my disciple. You can think you're a disciple and you're kidding yourself. There are many Christians who are kidding themselves thinking they're disciples of Christ. All they are is getting covered by love. But they're not disciples because disciple wants to be like the master. Disciple wants to become like the master. Disciples are found devoted in what? Prayer, the word, fellowship, covenantal partnerships with God and one another, and the breaking of bread. That's what a disciple is. They want to become like the master. They're going to go through suffering. They're going to go through persecution. They're going to go through. They'll be found like the master was found. They are an example. He's the example there. They are, what's your word, Amanda? Uh, prototypes, thank you. They are prototypes of the son. It's not just, oh, yeah, I'm saved by grace, UPI, sing some songs and live my life. That's the thing that needs to be smashed, guys, in the body of Christ. So many people live their lives like this. I'm living my life for my sake, and then I ask you, when I get in trouble, most of the time, to try and bless it. He's so good, he does at times. But what for? For the purpose of getting you relinquished from your life and into the life he predestined for you to know and have. But most people are actually just living their life for themselves, asking God to bless their life. Bless me in my work. Bless me in my family. Bring the man along. Bring the woman along. Bring the kids along. Bring the job along. Bring the holidays along. He's going, I'm looking for someone that really wants to bless my ministry. I'm looking for people that want to bless my name. I'm looking for people that want to bring glory to my name. Not ask me to keep coming and blessing them. I love them, so I will. But the purpose is actually you're supposed to be doing my will, not asking me to bless your will. Being obedient and faithful to the will of God. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what disciples model. Nothing less, nothing more. Simple, eh? (laughs) 
I like the little murmur. No, yes, maybe. <laughs> the false or the counterfeit can so easily be painted up as the real. The false or the counterfeit can so easily be painted up as the real. Must be. We must be surrendered to God before we're committed to God. Man, I wish I'd learnt this lesson. It's funny, eh? See, you come along to communities, churches, and they send you out straight away. But you're not surrendered. Ultimately, because the leader's not surrendered either. Not intentionally. They don't know it. You're looking at one that didn't know it. You see, Greg, you live relationally, but you lead functionally. How's that for a rebuke? I like the first part. Greg, you live relationally. We're saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but by the way, guess what? You lead functionally, and that's not me. Ooh. You, you what? No, that's not me. You're to lead relationally because my son's strength was in his relationship with me, not in trying to win a world. He reached out, and he was doing his thing, but it came from relationship. Lead them to me. They don't know me. That's the prophetic word, isn't it? Stop leading to a lost world. Because they don't even know me. Lead them to me while I'm reaching a lost world, because that's my job. Then, as they know me, they'll speak of me and give testimony in a lost world. But I'm reaching the lost world. I'm drawing the lost world. And I'll draw the lost to those people that know me, because then they can actually give testimony of something of substance, not just a guy that sort of saved me from grace, but I don't really know him, and I don't have the life to back it up. So stop leading them to the lost like most churches are doing because that's all they know and start leading them to me. And if they find me, guess what they're going to do? They'll start looking outward. But they won't lose relationship because they know relationship is the source of life for them to go into the world. So then they're in both. They're in the being and the doing. Most people are in the doing trying to do because they haven't yet got their relationship sorted. It's a back-to-front model that most churches are following, and that's why many are struggling with it. Must get surrendered. He said, deny yourself before he said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, come follow me, deny yourself. He said, deny yourself, surrender, then pick up your cross, then let's go. Okay? John 13, 36. Here's a 38. Here's a false counterfeit version. John 13, 36, 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now. What do you do when you hear the word? Do you ignore it? <laughs> or do you take attention to it? Because this is what the counterfeit does. It ignores it. Okay? He tells him, you cannot come follow me right now, but you will follow later. But right now, it's not now, but later. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you right now? Can you hear the function in his heart doesn't like this? See, it's like, no, my identity and purpose is around what we're going to do. It's not around sitting and doing nothing. It's not about being still because I'm a man of action. Remember, the Mark Gospel is all about action. And it's all about me and I'm a man of action. His action got him in trouble, didn't it? Yeah, 
It got him cutting off ears in the garden when it wasn't commanded. He was commanded to not to love, wasn't he? Wasn't he commanded to love? Wasn't he commanded to be in covenantal partnership with his brothers? And he went, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. I want to go and get on mission with you. I want to cut off some ears. Come on. I got a sword. You said I could have one. I'm going to use it. Not the way I intend, Jesus says. You got it all wrong. That's not how it rolls here. Why can't I come? I will lay my life down for you. Those that lose their life for their sake will find life. No. Those that lay their life down for his sake find life. This is so important here, and Peter completely missed it. Hence, he found himself, which was all part of God's plan, a broken man, didn't he? When he's actually given the opportunity to be what he says he is, he fails. See, he spoke from here, but Jesus saw here. And here didn't match here. It's the same today. He's talked this great talk. And this is saying something completely different. We say, I want prophecy. I want the truth. And then someone tells you the truth and you don't like it. That's not the truth. That's not my version of the truth. That's, don't know what that is, but that's not God. Because my God wouldn't say that to me like that. It's the greatest way to justify yourself out of your own transformation. It's called stupidity. It really is. You are a foolish virgin. You see, we say all these things, and when God says, I heard that, here it comes, we then go, no, that doesn't come in the way I thought it was going to come. But I quite like just giving all the lip service, so don't hold me to an account by his truth, because I just want to believe what I believe, say what I believe. Actually, you know what? I'm not in life. I can't model this stuff still, but I'll believe my own verbal diarrhea that comes out of my mouth. So much of it in the body of Christ, man. There's so much of it. Trust me. I've seen it in the last 10 years. Verbal rubbish in the name of Jesus. Because we will not lay down our lives. Jesus said this, Oh, will you lay your life down for me? (laughs) Jesus sees. Jesus knows. But Jesus loves beyond our behavior. Aren't you so grateful? So he speaks prophetically, but do you hear the word? Can you hear the word? Are you receiving the word that's changing you? Peter couldn't. Peter was full steam ahead. He wasn't interested in the commandment. He's given a commandment from heaven, and he's like, just a good idea. Didn't hear it. I'm not interested. I want to go where you go. And it didn't end that well, but it did. Because at that place of he went and wept bitterly as Peter is starting to be broken upon the rock. And he needed that. We need that if we're going to enter into and have in us this eternal life which separates us from everyone else, attaches us to him, and enables us to live this life. Do we have the discernment to discern the difference between the false and the eternal works which we are to do? Can you discern the difference between the false works 
and the eternal works. This is massive. There are works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So before you are born, there are works already prepared for you to walk in. And they're in the eternal, they're in the unseen. Have you seen them yet? Are you doing them yet? See, just like your life was created before the foundation, so are the works. Everything is eternal. Can you hear the synergy, the oneness? Not just about doing anything. What's the first work? Jesus said in John, the first work is to believe. What does it mean to truly believe? No, it means to have a full conviction of what you believe in, which causes obedience. So I fully am convinced of that. My whole life starts moving towards that. It's not, well, I believe in this and I stay still. I believe in it, so I'm actually living it out. Why? Because I'm no longer living for my sake. What would be the second work to be done? We've been commanded to do all this. To love God with all your heart, strength, mind, and to love one another. So there's the second work after believing. Can you do it yet? Are you doing it? Are you in the word and the spirit that's enabling this life to be done? It's challenging, isn't it? Very challenging. But it produces incredible fruit. So the squeezing and the pressing, pressing and the narrow pathway that is not just, I pray a prayer and he saves me of my sin, the narrow pathway that crushes my flesh and my ability to produce this work. It's narrow. It's like, and the word comes and it's, ooh, it's like putting me in a vice and it squeezes and it squeezes and it squeezes. And you know what it does? It stops you living your life. And it's beautiful. And the other side of this is freedom. But before you get the freedom, it's narrow. It's a narrow gate. It's not a wide gate. Everyone finds that way. That's easy. It doesn't require anything. Hey, the wide gate. Everybody come, crowd. But the narrow gate, which arrests you, apprehends you, stop you doing what you want to do. That. And then he shows you his way. And that's where the life is. Let me give you an example of counterfeit. What's the time? Man, 58 minutes, 8.30. Do you, want, do you want more? <laughs> yep. I love that. That was two people. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. There's so much in this, I know. So we'll see how we go. But 1 Corinthians 13, 1. So this is how you can lose your life for your sake, okay? This is a counterfeit. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, everyone say I. Okay, in that first verse, I is mentioned twice. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If that's not a warning to the church, I don't know what is. How many people maybe are clanging gong? How many people do you know can prophesy? They can share. They want to tell you all this knowledge that they've acquired in their head. But when it comes to love, they're like Peter. They're gone. They just want to tell you stuff. They want to love you. They just want to tell you. It's like evangelists that go out the street and go, oh, I don't want to disciple you. Not interested in discipleship. I just want to get you across the line. Then I push you that way. Everyone else can gut you as a smelly fish, but I don't want to get anywhere near you. That's love, isn't it? Real love. Yeah, no. That's what happens. No, no, I don't do that. Oh, okay. No, I move mountains. I've got faith. Let me prophesy. Let me pray. Let me, let me have the stage. Let me have the microphone. I've got, let me have the keys. Let me be the worship leader. But I don't have love. I don't love with all my heart. I don't love people. I just want to show what I got. You're nothing. Nothing. Prophets, you nada. Nothing. Man, that crushes the flesh. That puts it in perspective. That's saying something, isn't it? That would bring you to your knees if you allow it. A lot of people just dodge it. Rip that out. Rubbish. Don't know what Paul was saying there. Then he goes, lovers. <laughs> Man, we ain't got time. I've got to prophesy. <laughs> Hang on, time to love those people. I've got to prophesy. I've got to move mountains. Man, I've got to go to the next conference where they're talking about moving mountains and healing and all these things and figure out how I am. God says, yeah, that's all of me. Can we get back to the basics? Can we actually get back to who I am and what I'm really about, which is love? Because then a world might be interested in you rather than someone who gives it all that but can't live it. That's what I started saying. Where's this church of love? When he apprehended me, where is this church? God, where's this church of love? Where's the church that the lost look at and see love? Where are they? He goes, yeah, I'm looking too. There's plenty of activity. There's plenty of actions. People want to know their gifts. They want to know all this stuff. They want to get out there and change the world, but they just don't want to love. They want all the fancy stuff, which appears fancy and attractive, but they don't want to do the basic, simple things like love. It's easier not to, isn't it? But they're a problem, and they don't think like me, and they don't act like me, and they're a pain. He goes, yeah, just like you to me. <laughs> are you any different? Are you similar? And you're apprehended by it because he shows you what you are to him. And it's like all of a sudden the excuses and all, uh, 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 and you end up being like Moses and you go, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I've got nothing to say. That's right. And you're brought into this alignment and all of a sudden you start at number one. And then you move into number two as number one starts to take effect. And all of a sudden, you've got this life in you that enables you to be patient and kind and gentle and long-suffering. And you're able to bear all things and hope all things and believe all things because you're seeing in an eternal realm, not the temporal, but the eternal, and you hope to see what's in front of you be that in the eternal. And that's where our hope is. And now you're resting 
And so, yeah, you lost your life for his sake. Now you've found life, and now you're flowing in this, and you're doing works, but from a completely different operating system within you now because you lost your life for his sake. Can I just go to Matthew 7, and then we'll wrap it there? Because this is the other counterfeit, and this one is even more powerful than that one. Matthew 7. This is one we know well, but I'm going to pull some things out of here which you may not have seen before. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, And the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The narrow way is a life of righteousness. Living a right aligned life. I've made you righteous by my blood and my power. Now live a life of righteousness. In right alignment to me and my father's ways. Yeah? So not only are you transformed through the power of the commandment, but the commission, the works, the eternal works, not any works, have to be inspired, empowered, and led by heaven. Yeah? Shall I say that again? The eternal works that we are to do are empowered and inspired and led by the Spirit. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I can't. The Holy Spirit did not speak anything from his owner's initiative. They were both tuned into relationship with the Father and only spoke the Father's teaching, only did what the Father said to do. Do you think that's any different for us? No, because we're prototypes of the Son. We're of the same family. So if it's good for Jesus, it's good for us. You can't be outside of the design and expect life. That's pride-filled hypocrisy. Man, that needs to be smashed. If Jesus Christ needed to follow the pattern of heaven, so do we. So the works, this is how you get works of rest. Otherwise, it's in you, and you're trying in your own strength. But the Bible says that God gives power and strengthens those to serve him in his will. On the day of power, they will volunteer. This is why the power of God, wait on high till I clothe you in you with power so then you actually lay your lives down for my sake and not yours. Okay? So it's a narrow way. Right, this is where it gets really interesting. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Beware of the false prophets. Are they those non-Christian people? Who gives the gift of prophet? God gives the gift of prophet. So a false prophet is a Christian. Can we agree on that? Because the gift is from God. Okay, so they're a false follower. They're not necessarily no, but they, like we've talked about, a false teacher. 
Do you know a false teacher is saying anything that you think is him that's not of him? You're speaking a false reality. And people believe it. This is why only speak what's been revealed. How did you get your knowledge? Flesh and blood did not teach you that. My father, if you start speaking stuff that's not revealed, you could be a false teacher, a false prophet. You're speaking, it's not me. That's not me. That's not my way. Now, there's grace to cover it because for most people, they don't know this is what they're doing. Hence, you better get in relationship and commandment because I'm going to teach you it's a false way. If you're close enough, but I will let you go. This is what we're going to see here. Okay? Now, how do they come? Beware of the false prophet who come to you in, what are we? So they come dressed like you. They come like this. They come like this. But they're in sheep's clothing. Can you discern the difference between a sheep and a sheep? Can you discern the difference between those of Christ and those that are of man? Because they come like you. They come as a sheep. They're not a goat. They're not a bull. They're not as obvious as that. They're not a cow. They come looking exactly. Is he not going to come like the angel of? Hey, does he not counterfeit everything but it looks like it? Who is the line of Judah? He roars like a? Who's that? Satan. So he comes like it. Why? Because he's going, I'm going to deceive you. If you can't discern, you're going to be deceived. That's his whole ploy. What did Jesus say? Make sure no one deceives you. That's his game. All he's got is deception. He's got no authority, but he's good, and he is powerful because he's Satan. He was, the, he was the angel, was he not? But he's got no authority. But you know where he can come? He can come as a counterfeit. He can come as a delusion. He can come and have you thinking something that's not right. So these people come, sons who don't know and more likely than not are unaware, they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Where is the kingdom to be? Christ in us, the hope of glory. What is the first beatitude? Oh, poor in spirit. Do you think that's a ravenous position like a wolf? So inwardly, they are still full of themselves. They still think like them. They still act like them. In the name of who? Jesus. So they actually prophesy a false but they can operate because they've got gifts and callings and so they can see things happening but inwardly they are ravenous wolves and you'll know them by their so where's the fruit is it in signs and wonders no it's not because these guys did signs and wonders and he says who are you so it can't be in that what's it in what's the true fruit in lovers Lovers, and anything that you do, you can just be a gong. You can move mountains. You can prophesy. You can preach. But if you don't have a heart of love, if your inner realm is not what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who have given their life for my sake and have come into life and have the fruit of the Spirit, and you can see it because they're demonstrating it. Can you discern? You need to be able to discern, man, because it's everywhere. 
And it's unintentional most of the time. But there's a time coming when it won't be. The demonic will appear. It says this, many will come and say, Jesus is the Christ. Not that they are the Christ. I'll get up and say, Jesus is the Christ. And then I will mislead many. Do you know that? How can you say this? Yes, Jesus is the Christ and then mislead everybody. Because ultimately, you haven't given your life for his sake. You may have given it partially, just like Peter. Yes, you knew Jesus was the Father, but when the son said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, you got up and said, no, you're not. That's not my way. What would have happened if Jesus hadn't rebuked him and taught him in that moment? He's going off going, that's not what's going to happen. He starts speaking the complete opposite to his Lord and Savior. And he starts teaching everybody, this is not the way, this is not the way, this is not the way. And because anyone who's in flesh who doesn't have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying goes, yeah, that sounds right, that sounds right, that sounds like a good plan, let's follow you. And the blind lead the blind down to a pit. But you're supposed to have this eternal life, you're supposed to have an inner life, you're supposed to have a realm of love and joy and peace and grace and gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. You're supposed to be able to love people like Jesus loved them. But you're following a false way. That's ultimately what it is. It's a false way. And a false way does not produce the way. And the way is narrow that produces life. Man, I hope you can hear this. This is humongous. He goes on. You will know them by their fruits. (sighs) Man. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes and they're fig trees from thistles, are they? No. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And the fruits are not, to reiterate, physical external works. They are an outcome. They are works of an outcome, but they are not the fruit that Jesus talks about. Abide in me so you can have much fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit in you, which enables you to love and live like him. Now, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. This is a challenge. Just because you say something doesn't mean you are it. Just because you prophesy I love God actually doesn't mean you really do. Not the way he intends. You may say, and he may go, yes, you are. Okay? So not everyone who says Lord Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, once again, not heaven, the kingdom realm, within first when he returns, but he who does, once again, this is not a heaven and a hell, okay? This has got nothing to do with heaven and hell. This is everything to do with reward and entering into the life God has for us. 
He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. What's the will of God? It's really being faithful and obedient to everything he teaches. Starts with the commandment. Moves through from the commandment. One commandment, love God, love people. Go make disciples. Lay your life down for me, for my purpose. Hear my voice. Do what I tell you to do. Be part of my body. Get connected into a body. Give your life for my will like my son is the will of God. Yeah? Real simple. We confuse it, but it's really simple. The Bible literally says the will of God is the sanctification of you, which is part of the process of getting whole that you can live this life. That's why not all Christians do the will of God. They do the will of themselves and ask God to bless their will. He says, not everyone will enter the kingdom. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, here we go, in your name? So they're using his name. Someone who knows him, prophesying in his name. Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Many will say, I am the Christ and will mislead many. So they come in a gifting, in a calling, using his name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who do things your way. You have not laid down your life for my sake. You laid it down for your sake, and you're doing everything your way. And you use my name, and I allow it. And the thing that enables you to know the difference is your relationship. It's your closeness of your relationship. Because if you're in him, and he is in you, and you are spending the time with him, can you hear the absolute pursuit? Why all things have to be defined by him. And it's almost like you've got to let everything go to find this relationship so then you can hear, hear him and follow him at the leading of his voice. Otherwise, you're just taking a punt. And then you've got other people telling you this is what it's about. And so you go, well, I don't know, so I might as well get on and do something. Give it a go, Jack. Better than doing nothing. Maybe it's not. Maybe actually you're supposed to be still and know he's God. Maybe actually you don't want to do anything and actually find the relationship first. Because he can change your world. He's more than capable of healing the sick. He's more than capable of putting food on people's tables. He is more than capable. It's his planet for crying out loud. So maybe he's saying to us, maybe you need to find me while I do that. See, the greatest thing for me was to relinquish that to him. But what about... What about it? But what about? What about it? But what about? What about it? What if no one else goes and does the thing? What about it? Do you not seriously think that I could not change the world at a click of a finger, Greg? Do you really think I'm dependent on the church to try and change? Do you really think that? Is that how small you are in your mindset of me? You didn't even exist. And I created this. Stop leading them to function 
and lead them to me so they can know me and have eternal life so they won't be false in their prophecy. They won't be false in what they say. They won't be false in what they say about me. They'll be in me and give living testimony to a world that needs to truly know me. Not what they think of me, but that I, who I truly am love and life and power. You of lawlessness, you who do it your own way using my name and you're still not apprehended from it. But do you have the life in you? So, yep, you can move mountains. Yep, you got a calling, you got a gifting, you can prophesy, you can do all the external works, but what you can't do is change your inner realm. You can't produce the life of the Spirit. And I came to produce the life of the Spirit in my people and in my people to demonstrate me. And it's a flow of one to two. And unfortunately, most Christians are living in two because we've got no idea about one. And we're too busy with our lives to even contemplate giving up our lives to spend the time to discover one. But you do it at your peril because only those that discover one and live in love one who honor the commandments and the covenant will be found being rewarded. So we have an opportunity right now to be apprehended. That's where we're at. Get on our faces and start repenting and asking the Spirit to truly show us and help us to relinquish all the stuff in our hearts so we can truly get on board with doing the will of God. That's what he's been screaming for nine years. It's probably never come out of me like it has tonight. There's so much power, and I'm sharing my true belief system with you of what I truly see because the time is urgent for us to be awakened by the word that we would be captivated and almost held in like that state rather than, yeah, that's a nice word. You've got to be grasped. It's got to grab you. God is massive. He's powerful. Think about who he is. And then he calls us to live this life. And then that next part is all about those who have, their lives built on a rock and those on sand. And he says, those who, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What words is he talking about? The words I just quoted. Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter. In your name I did A, B, C. You of lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears, how does transformation come? Through hearing. Everyone who hears the frequency of the word, which is powerful, that created the worlds, who hears these words of mine and then starts to act on them. Oh, my goodness. I need to start acting because you're showing me the magnitude of the scripture. They are the ones who are compared to a wise man. See? Those that don't hear, when the rain fell, look, the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it is founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Do you build houses on sand in New Zealand? 
How silly is that? So build it upon the rock. Because when it all starts to fall away and it's falling, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. Can you discern the difference between a house and a house? Especially two houses like ours that look the same where we live. They look exactly the same apart from a double garage, but they're the same material on the outside, same, same everything. But can you discern the between the house and the house? Can you discern the nothing inner realm from the house and the full inner realm? Because it's only the full one you'd want to be building your life with. Not the inner one that's got nothing, but it looks like it can stand. It looks like it's okay. You see, if you hear these words and act on them, these words are supposed to apprehend it so you stop building your life on sand and get building your life upon the rock. So when the winds and the storms come, we're supposed to overcome them, not be overcome by them. We're supposed to be the people that stand. And yes, there's a process, and yes, it's a way, but are we getting victory? Are we actually becoming victorious or are the same things taking us out all the time? That's a clear sign that we probably haven't laid our lives down for his sake because he heals the brokenhearted. He brings recovery of sight to the blind. He doesn't keep people in hospital. He heals them to get out of hospital and get into the world and start declaring the goodness of God. So we must hear this word and stop treating it like a hospital but it is a hospital, if you can hear what I'm saying, but it's not to stay a hospital. But unless you can hear these words, and most people just think, oh, it's those words about building a house on sand that he's talking about. It's not. It's before that. Whoa. That takes that scripture to a whole different meaning. And that's why the crowds were amazed at his teaching. You are not like our scribes. You teach with authority. You teach with power. When you speak, we're captivated while at the same time in the fear. It even says in Acts that they were living such a life that a whole lot of people stood in awe but didn't want to join them. They're like, what's that? That's amazing. But don't get too close because we sort of want it, but we don't. We sort of say we do, but we really don't because what's that going to look like and what's the commitment for that? See, plenty of people say, Greg, I want the life you're in. I say, do you want the process? Tell me about the process. Nah. Oh, I love this thing and I love this thing. I love the rock. I love the rock. You go, really, do you? When you get involved? Oh, nah. Now I just want to stay at a distance. Oh, you love it, do you? Really love you, really love you, really love you, and they're going to walk away from you. Oh, I really want your life. I love what you're doing. Get involved. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verbal diarrhea. There's a lot of it, man. A lot of it in the body of Christ. Talk the talk. Don't live the walk. And he's saying, come on. It's time to get some sick. I feel like God's saying, right, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the words that you give me, but you remove your hearts from me. You honor me with your words, and you remove your hearts from me. I love you. And I will not punish you for that because I love you. But it's time to grow up. Come on, it's time to actually start being the church. It's time to start saying, yes, this is who I am. It's starting to get, it's almost like get aggressive. It says the violent take it by force. You've got to get aggressive. And I mean that in a good way, okay? You've got to find something in you that goes, come on, I want this. I'll do whatever it takes. And in this inner realm, something gets comes up. And it's like this dog with a bone thing. 
You know, it's like the woman that said, or the man that said, it's midnight. We're hungry. Knock, knock, knock. I'm not going anywhere. And the guy says, it wasn't because I'm your mate. It's because you are persevering. And the woman that goes to the judge, she doesn't respect God. She doesn't respect her. But she says, you're such a pain. Be a pain on his door. Be a pain. Knock on heaven's door. Be a pain that he go, okay. Says I want to come in and dine with you. What does that look like? What is that? Have you experienced that yet? Where the Lord comes and starts to reveal himself and you're like, whoa, man, freaky. And there aren't the words, but you want to try and write it. Like, whoa. That's <laughs> what it can be like. But he looks for desire, hunger. Those who are hungry and thirsty. It requires a choice. And it's a covenant we're in. And it's not just us and him. It's us and him and one another. That's why he says, come on, spur one another on. Encourage one another while the day is still today. Get with your brothers and sisters. Walk with them. Believe all things. Hope all things. See them as I see them. Speak life into them. Love them. Love covers. Speak life and life. Invite them into your world. Invite them to be in your life. Don't be selfish. Stop trying to hold on to yourself. Give your life for my sake and you will find life. And the life that you find in me will be sufficient in all things and in all times. And although you may be crushed, you will not be beaten down. Because I will fill the vessel with glory. For momentary light affliction, Paul said, for the eternal weight that is being produced of glory beyond all comparison. For I do not look in the seen realm. I look in the unseen realm. I see what's in there because of the relationship I have. And I feed from there in me a substance that enables you to go the distance. And it's not one-off. It's a constant feeding at the table and a drinking from the well. It's a whole pursuit because it's covenant. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for your life. We thank you, God, for the fullness of your word. We thank you that you don't just give us a chicken bone, but you give us a whole chicken to go around each you give us potatoes and vegetables and all the things. You give us wine to drink. You give us dessert. And you say, do you want more? For there is more. And your word never runs dry and never runs out. And there's in a constant abundance of food on your table. And I thank you that you have invited us to sit like Mephibosheth, who sat at the king's table because of the covenant relationship that Jonathan had with David. Not because of him, but because of the relationship his father had with the king. And Lord, it's your son, because of what your son has done, that enables us to sit at the table. And I pray we would not take that for granted. I pray that we would come into the realization of what Jesus has done for us, that we may sit as sons, no longer sinners begging, no longer trying to each feed on a chicken bone, but God be at the table, each and every one of us, with our own meal to chew and eat. For that is your will for us. And to go into this world 
make disciples of all nations, every color, every culture, every language, here in New Zealand and maybe overseas if you call us to that. But we start here in our own church. We start here in The Rock. We start here in Wellington, not overseas, and then we go. So, Father, we thank you for tonight. We pray, the Lord, as we wrestle with you and grapple with you, that you'll reveal your living mana in us. In Jesus' name.